Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, brought to you by Ceres. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Since 2010, today's guest on the podcast has worked in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, as a general counsel for a UAE family-owned luxury conglomerate and was introduced to angel investing. Currently, Gada Casey Audi is a founding team member of Taro Ishida, a luxury goods startup, and arbitrates commercial disputes based in San Francisco. Today, we're going to discuss her experience as an angel investor and female founder, why innovating and addressing an unmet need in the market is always a good business case, and on being a woman general counsel in an era of business disruption. But before we start, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. I'm thrilled to talk about the important work Ceres is doing. Ceres is a nonprofit organization working with the most influential capital market leaders to solve the world's greatest sustainability challenges. Through their powerful networks and global collaborations of investors, companies, and nonprofits, Ceres drives action and inspires equitable, market-based, and policy solutions throughout the economy. To learn more, go to series.org slash podcast. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash podcast. At Ceres, sustainability is the bottom line. Hello, Gata, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, well, we're very glad you could join us today. And I want to talk right away, right up front, about the fashion company that you are a partner in or a founding member, I believe, of the team. Taro, Taro Ishida is working to become plastic-free by 2024. How can higher quality fashion products provide longevity and circular economy benefits into the future? Well, first and foremost, I think it is um, companies like ours that are listening to our consumers. Um, I have been in the luxury goods industry for a number of years, as you've mentioned, and it was really clear to me that over time, the definition of luxury may not have changed all that much, but what has noticeably changed are the consumer attitudes about luxury. And I think we're really in an era right now where consumers are making value-based decisions when they are purchasing goods. And we are definitely meeting our clients where they are. And we wanted to be on the right side of that sustainable equation and be not only following, but leading the trends. I firmly believe that brands have a very vital role in um, shaping the choices of consumers in what they purchase. And by our going to remove plastic, and that's just one way in which we are taking sustainability uh, very seriously, is leading the trend. 
And we are a new brand. We are um, we are agile in that respect. We uh, are small. Um, we make small batch goods. And we're looking at the highest quality raw materials and making sure that what we're putting into our product will withstand the test of time. That's great. So it sounds like the company from its very beginning has been focusing on these types of uh, issues uh, related to longevity of product life, resale, all those kinds of things uh, become part of this process. Uh, tell us what you have learned as an angel investor about capital market funding for women entrepreneurs, since you are one of them yourself, and I'm assuming you work with many other women entrepreneurs. You know, I um, I kind of fell into angel investing. I didn't start there. Um, I was working as a general counsel in Dubai, and one thing that I was noticing was, um, where were the, where were all the women? And I, I say this in a, in the most, um, let's say general way, because I knew that, um, when you look at the, uh, rates of women going into university studies and graduating, the these rates were equal when it came to male and female. As you go into a company, um, there were fewer women in in the same roles. And higher up the echelon in leadership, there were fewer and fewer women. And I started to really ask myself, why is that happening? And what I found out was that the Middle East has one of the lowest penetration rates of women in the workforce. And that really got me thinking. Um, I was also very interested at that point in terms of my own professional development and where I might be going with my own career. And having that um, access to uh, the highest level of leadership and having a seat at the table made me very curious about what would be the next evolution of my own career. And I began to really research and look at um, women on boards. And I've written and published on this as well. And through that network of getting to know women who were active in in on boards in companies uh, led me to discover that some of these women were also involved in angel investing. And that was one way that I started to uh, get into this. All right. Any other examples of angel investing impetus or motivation uh, that you can share with us today? I do want to share this because, again, it stems from that role of being a general counsel and working for a family-owned conglomerate that had more than one business unit. One of those business units was an investment arm. So it acted as a single family office. So these investment deals were crossing my desk. 
And I looked at those um, and I said, how can I add more value to this process of vetting and evaluating the deals that my company may be investing in? And I wasn't a finance professional. I was a lawyer. And it, it really s- struck me that to do my job better, I needed to seek out and learn more about how to evaluate a company. And as I was saying, I was starting to meet women who were in this space. And that's what led me to join an angel investor group. Um, and that's where my, you know, my experience as an angel investor started. That was in the Middle East, not in Silicon Valley. <laughs> and, and that might surprise people. That I'm might sure it will. Some of our audience will be surprised. <laughs> And and again, um, you know, what I'm starting to see and what I learned during that process was that there's a really nascent but growing ecosystem of incubators, accelerators, um, entrepreneurs and investors. And I was really privileged to be part of a group that was uh, helping those investors and providing the mentorship to not only funds, but also mentorship and opening up our network in a way to really support those entrepreneurs. So you are doing this as uh, a a woman general counsel uh, in an era of business disruption and in the MENA countries. and you've written about that, as you said. So to give us some idea of what the, what the focus of this piece that you have published is, is about. Uh, and can you give us any examples for, from the article, uh, for example, uh, of something that happened or some engagement that you were part of that made a difference in your perspective and your approach to this work? Sure. Um, you know, I I wrote that piece after going to uh, a conference where the majority of the people in the room were not lawyers. And um, I think I, I, I really wrote that piece from the perspective of what can we do in our roles to be even more entrepreneurial and more able to bring the full confluence of our skills to bear in order to help our company during difficult times. Um, I think what I learned in the process of writing that article was how multidisciplinary my skill set was and what it really takes to sit in that kind of a leadership role and how we need to be able to draw upon our different experiences and our different skill sets in order to navigate change. At the end of the day, that disruption was change in the form of digitalization and technology, um, but also uh, changes in the consumer and being able to respond to that. I think at the the end of the day, that article was about um, knowing your purpose. And when you're effective in the business that you're operating within, um, you understand what your purpose is. And in that that setting, working for a 
uh, luxury conglomerate whose primary line of business was luxury retail. The purpose was all about the consumer, all about the customer, and making sure that their experience was seamless, no matter what type of challenges and changes were happening around us. And if I look back to the other roles that I've held, um, as a lawyer, again, I'm looking at my client, my client's experience as um, the, the recipient of my services. When I worked for the court in Dubai and as an arbitrator, I'm thinking in terms of the end user of this process. And now as I'm wearing the hat of a co-founder, I'm thinking about my customer, my client. I'm also thinking about the employees and future employees and the stakeholders, those investors that are going to invest in me. Now, Gata, there's a whole revolution of technology in e-commerce that you've touched on very briefly so far that is developing globally. And certainly that is, uh, that is going on in the MENA countries as well as every place else in the world that has not, let's, let's just say, has not been part of the 100-year-old uh, business uh, and energy infrastructure that's uh, that's been in place now in the OECD country OECD country for many and economies for many years. What's your experience of the advantage that advantages that new technologies have in e-commerce, for example, and banking in the MENA countries versus the infrastructure that exists in the OECD? economies? I think that, um, you know, e-commerce is, is a game changer. And uh, if a, a few years ago, we only talked about brick and mortar as the way of selling goods, then, you know, e-commerce has changed the game. And I think the, the, the first, you know, real realization is that um, technology is moving the way we operate and the way we conduct our lives across the board. This is one example when we started to um, use e-commerce and omni-channel ways of uh, selling our products. And it made me realize that everything is moving towards tech. So whether it's retail, whether it's banking, as you've also, um, you know, highlighted that these are opportunities in countries that um, that have a very large population that may be unbanked to find solutions. And I was really privileged to work with the uh, the company Now Money uh, as an angel investor and to see how their solution has revolutionized and changed the lives of, uh, let's say, um, workers who are more uh, transient workers or have um, are not as skilled workers that also have uh, huge obligations to their families to remit money and need 
banking, but they don't fit the, the traditional profile of a traditional bank. And I think those are the type of opportunities that have really uh, been a game changer. Uh, also for, for women, you know, the, the ability to open up a small business and to sell through e-commerce has really lowered the, the costs and overheads for, for getting into business and doing business. So I think that that's, you know, the, these are, are, are very important changes that have happened and are taking root. Um, we can look at the percentage now of e-commerce penetration in the Middle East, and it is rapidly taking hold. And I think we all can kind of sit back and look at some of the lessons during the, the pandemic. Um, you know, everything was, in terms of e-commerce was really accelerated in terms of its, its taking hold. And again, not every trend is right for every type of business. In the luxury field, um, Online sales and e-commerce is very important. However, I think there are still um, opportunities to provide your customer with an experience that is unparalleled by having them come in and visit you at your, your point of sale. So I think at the end, uh, what we're finding is that there's going to be kind of a, a shift back and a more balanced approach that remains uh, omni-channel, where you maybe have your first interaction online, or you've had that first interaction on uh, inside of, of a store, and then the customer has made their decision to make a purchase either in-store or online. Okay, so now let's talk about the process of, of getting to the point where you can actually participate uh, in the luxury economy, for example. We know that in many countries around the world, women are receiving a lot more attention in terms of academic credentials and preparing themselves for careers in various parts of the global economy. What are your thoughts, uh, having done both, really, uh, being focused as an attorney uh, on the use of your uh, legal credentials and skills, and now as an entrepreneurial investor and angel investor, as a woman entrepreneur, compared to working within the academic credentials that you had acquired? Share your thoughts on opportunities for women in both areas, if you will. So uh, throughout my journey as a, a career woman, and um, I guess I want to just start by saying that you know, I'm, I'm following through on things that have been modeled for me. I believe it started very early on in, in the home. Our motto was everything for education. So I was really, you know, raised with that ethos. And I sought that out for myself. And through my journey, there are so many times where I found myself both uh, at, at, you know, at the same time, the uh, teacher as well as the student. And for sure, that was the case when I became an angel investor. Uh, I was very much the student in terms of learning how to 
um, evaluate companies and learn the ins and outs of being an angel investor. At the same time, I was able to provide mentorship and open my network to those that those entrepreneurs. Now the shoe is on the other foot. Here I am as the entrepreneur uh, seeking those investment funds from, uh, from our investors and also that opening of a network and mentorship. And at the point that I decided to um, leave behind labels and titles, I have three degrees. I decided that I needed to keep my 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 practical skills um, that and and to draw from the different skill sets that I had to really keep moving my career forward. And I believe it does take a combination of both. I wouldn't have gotten those opportunities but for my legal studies and training. And once I had them, I think I was very much inspired by um, by what had been modeled in front of me. Uh, for example, I was very active in the Association of Corporate Counsel. And through that group, I was able to take courses and certifications uh, that were akin to taking a mini MBA and taught me that I could traverse even further in my chosen role of being an in-house counsel. Um, you know, the, the best advice I ever got in terms of being a general counsel was get to know your industry. And I, I really took that to heart. And that meant that I wanted to understand the production, the sales process, the consumer journey. And all of that culminated in applying what I was learning and figuring out what I still needed to know. So even today, I still consider myself a student and I'm still learning. Well, you know, that's going to be the story of my life uh, <laughs> until they throw my ashes in the river or whatever, because <laughs> I keep changing what I'm focused on. And uh, I think I've found the right mix for the for the remainder <laughs> at the moment. And Gata, please uh, tell our where online can our sustainable finance podcast followers learn more about Taro Ishida and your work as an arbitrator, and how can they get in touch with you about the topics that we've discussed in today's program? Well, thank you. I would certainly like to, um, you know, follow up with any of your your listeners and viewers uh, that would like to get in touch. Uh, Taro Ishida has a website, and uh, you just click on, go on the web, and uh, we're at taroishida.com. Uh, please visit us there or on Instagram as well. Um, to get more information about my arbitration practice, you can visit me also online at my homepage, gqaudi.com, and uh, you can send me an email there. Um, I also invite your listeners and viewers to um, meet me on LinkedIn, where you will find me under Gada Audi. Great. Well, thanks again to Gada. Casey Audi, 
C-suite executive, international arbitrator, and luxury goods startup co-founder. And to our sponsor, the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. The Series Accelerator is a center of excellence within Series that aims to transform the practices and policies that govern capital markets to reduce the worst financial impacts of the climate crisis. For more information, go to series.org slash accelerator. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash accelerator. And to our followers, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Yeah.